up, everybody? How is it going? Welcome back to Keith and Mike Watch Deep Space Nine. Uh, this has been a very exciting week over at KM Entertainment. Uh, we've uh, we dropped our playmates review of the Starship Enterprise, the original Enterprise, and we're getting a little traction, so there's a lot of new friends here. Uh, so welcome. Welcome to uh, our little brand of nonsense here. Mike, how's it going? Keith, it's going well. Do you need to take that phone call? I, I do not. I okay. Do not. <laughs> we're very busy here, folks. The phones are ringing off the it's hook. It's ringing off the hook. It's, oh. like a, it's like a PBS pledge drive with no tote bags and the phone isn't for to give us money. We've we've uh, from the beginning. We've been running this channel really for over three years now. We were doing a little teeny show that uh, a podcast about David E. Kelly's The Practice. It's still available on the podcast feeds and on the YouTube's some of it. So uh, check that out if you're interested. But regardless, because of the Enterprise video Keith posted last week, we've been getting some cool organic growth. We'd like to welcome all new people, new eyes to the channel. We don't we don't claim to be. Uh, experts in any field. We're just two geeks uh, talking about Star Trek and some other stuff. We got some fun stuff on the way. So if you, we'd just like to welcome you. If you are enjoying any of this nonsense, please hit the like button. It clearly helps. Subscribe if you are so inclined. And while you're at it, if you'd like to get in on the ground floor of a mm. of a budding enterprise here oh, on the YouTube, yes. you can do so by joining our patrons at patreon.com slash K and M, spell out that and, and you can join the likes of Brian Kaufman, Casey Clark, Cloud Lover 69, Jorge Novoa, and The Mysterious, The Mysterious, Alan Zimmerman, CRM Productions, Charles, ba Charles Babbage, and our newest patron, thank you so much for yes. joining the team, Jason Moe. Jason uh, dropped us some questions, so we will be doing it. And, and AMA this month. So stay tuned, patreon.com slash K&M. We appreciate you guys jumping in. You get some fun stuff uh, on the feed and also you get to just be a producer on this show and we really appreciate and, and love your support. Yes, indeed. Welcome, Jason. Thank you for joining the team. We're excited to uh, excited to continue the conversation, which has been uh, certainly our favorite part of Doing this show both here and on the on the Patreon is uh, just conversating because uh, I promise you guys all know so much more than we do. We're just the ones talking, so <laughs> uh, we're uh, we're very excited about it. Yeah, and so speaking today, of that, Keith, I should yeah. say, in in the coming weeks, definitely hit the subscribe button because we there might be some different content, maybe a, a different type of show where we uh, focus less and talk more. <laughs> <laughs> Which, if you didn't think it was possible, <laughs> hold on to your hat. <laughs> Here we go. All right. Well, today we are focusing as much as we are capable of focusing on the Deep Space Nine episode, season two, episode five, Cardassians. Uh, very interesting episode. It aired on October. Yes, Mike. Let's do it before I embarrass myself on the internet mm -hmm. more than I generally do. Mm -hmm. Let me get the pronunciation right because I've been saying Cardassians, which I'm being which told is, is incorrect. Wrong. Okay, Cardassians, yes. very also, wrong. Also, very very wrong. So, yeah. Cardassians. The Cardassians at this point, probably right this very moment, were were trying to uh, pay for OJ Simpson's uh, oh, lawyers. Okay, yes. So All that's right. that's what Ooh, they were up to. It's at getting this political point. up in here. We promised we weren't <laughs> doing that. I made no such promises. <laughs> I, I tried to promise for you, and you have you have ignored me at every I turn. I have a hard no. 
<laughs> yes, so Cardassians. Okay, I see them on the screen. I Cardassian. Yes, yes, there you go. Okay. Well, we're only in season two, so it's 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 fine. We've only done, what, 30 episodes of this? Mm, that's fair. Eh, whatever. All right, well, you know what I know? You know what we do every week when we discuss when this episode aired on October 24th, 1993. We have a long-standing tradition of Mike's flawless renditions of the top song for the week. And uh, every week it has been just chef, ki- chef kiss perfection. And once again, here is another perfect rendition of Dream Lover by Mariah Carey. I'm sure by now he's really got it dialed in. He thinks I didn't listen to it. But I did, and now I remember the song. Do, 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 do. But Keith, there's only one thing that's better than me jibber-jabbering over Mariah Carey's dream level. Pretty much anything in the entire universe? No, we steal a segment, reduce, recycle, reuse from our old podcast where I play a cover from YouTube of the song. This is Dream Lover by Allie Caldwell. Uh, Only 6,000 views. Check her out on YouTube at... Allie Caldwell Music. Sounds great. Yes. All right, that's that's enough to get us a strike, sir, but that's great. Uh, Who was that again? That is Allie Caldwell over... Allie Caldwell, hell yeah. Thanks, very, Al. very nice. All right. Well, that that was so much more successful than I ever expected it to be. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know what to do now. I'm confused. That that segment wasn't a disaster. Uh, but you want to know uh, what also wasn't a disaster? If you went to your theaters this week, you'd be watching the Beverly Hillbillies, the uh, uh, Cloris Leachman Jim Varney classic. Uh, no relation. Uh, but uh, yeah, so. That's what was going on there. Mike, are you ready for the hard-hitting news this week? Yeah, we're not talking about what was on the... Uh, no, I, I forget the order of this stuff. Well, I don't have your segment that you never remember on my rundown. Yeah, when should that go, though, you think? Oh, you know what? L- let's, let's do it now before the news. I'm going to add your nonsense segment to... Guys, the, on uh, the main networks, we had on ABC Rockin' and Rollin'. Keith, what time did Deep Space Nine air? Well, it was syndicated, which means it aired when it aired in your local area. Usually in uh, in your the Vermont, in the Burlington, Vermont syndication, it was usually about 7 o'clock. On NBC? Uh, no, it was ABC, usually. Oh, interesting, because that's not, I wonder what time, some, oh, this clearly is Philadelphia time. So anyway, ABC... We were rocking, of course, the Lois and Clark, the new adventures of Superman. Mm. I've got a crush on you. But Keith, interesting to me, we also had Martin on Fox, that their block we talk about every week. Martin, living single, married with children. God, that was mm-hmm. what I was watching. Mike was all in on the Fox block. Sure, sure. NBC was rocking that uh, Sequest DSV. But Keith, interestingly, on CBS, talk about the Wayback Machine and, yeah. and Keith Varney, we had a new episode of Murder, She Wrote. That's yes. how far back we've gone. It was the episode The Phantom Killer. A pretty high rating. People were uh, loving Murder, that Murder, She Wrote ran well past that. 
I forgot that Murder She Wrote followed sixty minutes. I mean, that was that was that's a big slot. Yeah. And then the movie of the week on CBS was Double Jeopardy. Hmm. You and and uh, you know as you know we mentioned before we're going to focus. Uh, we're going to really focus. Uh, here's here's a way that I demonstrate being focused by pointing out in 1993, Mike. Did you know that in my Vermont uh, air airwaves there was no Fox? You couldn't get Fox, huh? We could not get Fox. There was no local Fox affiliate in 1993. Uh, in fact, when Fox took over the NFL coverage, right, because they didn't have a, a station, our local CBS purchased Fox's football coverage to show oh, us. Interesting. Uh, which, of course, was great. We appreciated them doing that. However, they had a hard out for 60 Minutes. So if you're if my New York Football Giants were at a four o'clock game and it's going to overtime, tough sixty minutes. Wow. Cool. So uh, there you go. I'm just talking about past trauma. You know how it is. And well, yeah. Last night was some trauma too. Moving forward. Moving forward. Uh, anyway, so like I said, the hard hitting news here on October twenty fourth, nineteen ninety three. Of course, the weekly world news headline this week was Pope John Paul performs exorcism. And with six never-before-seen photos inside, uh, certainly exciting. I mean, I, I'm I'm so glad they were able to get a photographer in there for the yeah. exorcism because you, you want it to be documented for mm -hmm. legal reasons as well as just entertainment. So that's what was going on in 1993. So let's talk about this episode, Cardassians. Here we go. This was directed by Cliff Bowl. The uh, legendary director on Star Trek who got a shout out in our last episode when they talked about the Cliffs of Bowl. Mm. Uh, Cliff Bowl last on directed. On the Cliffs of Bowl. Thanks. Thanks for that. He last, <laughs> last directed Dramatis Passoni. Oh, that was so, a stinker. That sure was. Uh, and this episode was written by James Crocker who uh, did the teleplay, will write four more episodes of Deep Space Nine, and Gene Wallande and John Wright, uh, who uh, Gene Wallande is mainly an actor. This is his only Trek. And John Wright, this is John Wright's only IMDb credit, period. So I believe this is back when they were uh, still doing open script submissions. So I bet they pitched the idea um, for this episode, and then uh, James Crocker wrote the teleplay for it. So which I think is cool, uh, but not as cool as everybody's favorite segment about trivia, Mike. Now Keith, waste your time. With what? With trivial trivia. Okay. Well, this episode has a couple of firsts and a couple of seconds. The first first, or the only first that I'm aware of, this is the first time we hear what the Cardassians used to call Deep Space Nine. Mm. Do you remember what it is, Mike? Not even close. Yeah. I remember it happening, though, which is which is something. Yeah. Well, because naturally, they didn't call it Deep Space Nine because that's a Federation thing. They called it Tarek Nor. So uh, that is an... And that will sort of play moving forward. We might... Uh, 
we we might might have some plot stuff going on there. Might have some flashbacks. Who knows? Let's Keith, find out. This episode, we'll learn if Mike and Keith thought it was we. If Keith and Mike wanted oh, Tarek Moore, or if they thought it was a Tarek snore. Oh, I knew that was coming. <laughs> Ouch! I. Why did you stop me? Because because. The tone of your voice as you began that sentence, I already know. I knew immediately you were going to Tarek snore. Like, I could have gone, was it a Tarek bore? Uh, it, it could have, yeah, I, I suppose. Would that, would that have been better? Learning that so. title would have given us more insight into the Tarek lore. Should I stop now? No, no, I think, I think <laughs> you got one more in you. All right, you know what? Let's not go out with a Tarek whimper. Let's go out with a Tarek roar. Ah, your terrible puns have cut <laughs> me to the Tarek core. All right, so <laughs> the next piece of trivia. Keith, our, our subscriber base dropping. It's, so it's, been, it's been going up for a while, and now it's going down. I don't know. I didn't know you could fall as precipitously as that. But here we are. Uh, all right, so this is Strangely, only the second appearance of Garrick. Yeah, that's what I was commenting on the watch along, which you can get at uh, patreon.com slash KNM. He's talking to Bashir like, you know, they've established clearly a rapport over the past however long, but we've only met him one time. And that was way back early. That was like episode three, two or three. Yeah, it was episode two. Yeah, which I think is. I, one of the the advantages of having you on the show, not having seen the show before. Because if you had asked me, how many times do we see Garrick in the first two seasons? I'd say, I don't know, four or five. Right. And it, this is only the second appearance. So you, unless I had told you, wouldn't know that Garrick is such an important part of the show. Well, he, m- much more so this week. Like the first time we see him, we understand it's more about the relationship he's building. And there's yeah. a little bit of... It's more of a funny sort of uh, espionage plot taking place that episode. Now there's more kind of they play it for more gags, but no, I don't want to say gags, but you know what I mean. It's it's more lighthearted. Whereas this one is pretty. They really up to the stakes for him this week, which I think is cool. Yeah, yeah, um, cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's what makes this episode interesting is is Garrick's being there. Uh, also, speaking of the most trivial of trivia, uh, this is only the second time we see Golducott physically on the station. We've seen him a lot, but always on Zoom. So this is uh, an interesting element. They finally, they finally let Mark Alimo out of the uh, out of the little, the little you know set dressing corner. They actually let him come onto the set, which was nice. We're, we're probably going to see more of him. And lastly, the star chart seen in Remick's office on Next Generation is seen in the background of the Ducat, Cisco, and Padar scene. Now, uh, Mike doesn't know who Remick is from Next Generation, uh, but from season one, uh, you can certainly begin some conspiracy theories about uh, that particular star chart being there, uh, because we all know what Remick was supposed to be before they decided to uh, change the plans at the end of season one. So, uh, anyway... Tiny little detail, but if you really wanted to like start, you know, Zabruder filming this, you could probably maybe think, hmm. All right, so uh, now it's time to move on to what was Next Generation doing? Next This week, the Next Generation did Phantasms, the episode in which Data has nightmares and uh, was in- interestingly directed by Patrick Stewart. 
Oh, that's cool. Yeah, Patrick Stewart uh, directed several episodes of Next Gen. Not as many as as Jonathan Frakes, but he definitely did uh, direct some episodes, which were, some of them were pretty good. All right, Mike, what do you say we introduce some guest stars? We need to. Before we go into the screening room. Uh, Including many of our regulars, Rosalind Chow as Keiko, Andrew Robinson as Garrick, Mark Alimo as Gull Ducat, and uh, some new folks this week, Terrence Evan as Proka Migdal, who played, uh, interesting, who is the, the father of the Cardassian boy, interestingly played a mute Bajoran in the episode Progress, looking pretty much the same. Um, but now he talks and has a Cardassian son, and uh, we don't mention the fact that it's basically the same dude. Uh, he will also show up on an episode of Star Trek Voyager. We have Vidal Peterson playing Rugal, who also played Detan on Unification Part 2 of Next Generation. And Dion Anderson as Zolan the Butthead Guy. <laughs> what do you say? We hop into our screening room and discuss the episode, Mike. No. No, no. No? I, 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 I want to take a moment, Keith. Mm. And I think longtime Deep Space Nine and Trek fans will thank me for this as such an expert. Oh, as uh, as the yeah. authority. And yes. while we're talking about guest stars, I think we would be remiss if we didn't have a bit of a a fond send off to a a famous oh my guest god star yes who we've been we've been wrestling with a lot so far this season and uh, that's about all I'll say our our dear Kai Win I'll let, I'll toss it to you who's actually knows her work for more episodes but I, I I noticed it on the feeds today and I yeah yeah no this is the first episode that we've we've done since we lost Louise Fletcher um, Oscar winner. Louise Fletcher, uh, obviously from Cuckoo's Nest, from Flowers in the Attic. But we, of course, know her as uh, as Vedic Wynn. Um, I mean, I, I, don't, I, I don't know what better compliment I can serve her than she is so detestable. I want to, on this show, I want to reach into the screen and strangle her. And that speaks to such an unbelievable talent to be on the screen. Um, you know, and, and we're just beginning our journey with Win here. Um, but to, to create a character that gets such an emotional reaction right away is just, and, and with, with very minimal screen time with minimal stuff, but every time there's an episode with Win in it, you know, you're going to be emotionally involved in that story in some fashion. And, uh, uh, Louise Fletcher was a phenomenal actress. We all know this. Um, also very good on Shameless. Um, uh, just off the top of my head, the things I've seen her in. Um, so certainly a a loss to Trek and a loss to the acting field. Um, she worked for a very long time doing excellent work uh, in lots of different ways. Um, so yeah, definitely uh, definitely a big loss. I'm bummed. I'm bummed that that she she's uh, she's gone. So. Um, Safe journey, uh, Louise Fletcher. And with that, to, Keith, uh, what better way than to journey into serenade, the, to a universe that she uh, she poured her heart and soul into? What do you say? Indeed. No, I've been better about it. Welcome, new viewers. 
<laughs> you thought that was going to be like a really heartfelt segue, but no, we don't do that. No, no, we don't do that. But what we do do, I said do do, yeah, is we talk our way through this episode, which begins in the teaser with Bashir getting some rock to Gino in front of the alien that stole Loaxana's brooch. When holy moly, it's Garrick. Do it, Rock to Gino. Does you know? It's nice to know that not all Cardassians dress like boring space people. You know, some of them have a little flair, like our boy here. He's a tailor. That's a he's he's a fashionista. That's what he does. He's always going to have some fashion. So uh, they chat about how Garrick's shop can stay open when the Bajorans probably don't want to buy from a Cardassian. Well, uh, behind them, two extras sit behind what is wearing with those trash can lids it's on their crazy. heads. It's crazy. That was like, yeah, you can see it there. Those are some crazy ass hats. I went back and watched it a second time and only, for only like, 60 frames are they actually even in focus we get we catch yeah. it a couple of screenshots later yeah barely it's uh, uh, the background and alien effects in this episode this are episode. through the roof yeah through the roof i mean they always are but this episode and just once again the sets they keep building sets yeah yeah well they've got a whole they're they're they've got seven seasons to build it's exciting so uh bashir continues to tease garrick about being a spy then, Garrick spots a Bajoran man with a Cardassian boy. Garrick is immediately curious and introduces himself, but then, oh yeah, there's there's the uh, trash can lid head. I mean, look at that. That's rad. That is a fashion statement. Mike, I will give you $10 if you wear that hat to our next episode. No, but can you imagine showing up to your trailer? Well, I mean, it's probably not a trailer, there, but that's not a, that's not a walk-on. But you show up to fitting, you're like, oh my god, Honey, I booked Deep Space Nine. I'm going to be on this week, and they're like, "Here is your trash can lid." Actually, I would, I would, I'd be fine with that. Although you can't, you can tell your friends that's you, and they'd be like, "Yeah, okay." That could, well, Keith. Yeah. That could be you. That could be twelve year old you, for all we know. It. I, I mean, if only, wouldn't that have been amazing? <laughs> this episode would be different. The celebratory nature of this episode would be different. I mean, do you think we could have gotten through how many episodes of talking about Star Trek without me bragging about that? Like, I brag about what I had for breakfast. Keith I is would trash be so insufferable. Head. Actually, if any of our customs people are, are watching, does anybody has anybody ventured to 3D print a, a trash can head extra from Deep Space Nine? Because Ooh. that is a niche custom that, that I want. That is a deep <laughs> cut. But that that would do it. Uh, yeah. All right. Customizers, I know you're watching. I will let My um, address is available if you email us. Oh, my God. What would Mike do? For not a Klondike bar, but a trash can head custom. Clearly, they've figure. made Garrick right figures. Oh well, the uh, Playmates made one. Yeah, yeah. They 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 made an actual uh, official one. Uh, all right. So then the boy bites Garrick in the hand, and that is our big reveal out of the. Well, first uh, he goes over and just randomly introduces himself, which is very stranger danger, and and touches him. Yeah, he, not. He, he like almost deserves. Just, yeah, that look. <laughs> yeah, no, don't, don't, you know, walk up to random boys and touch them, guys. That's don't do that. So, uh, and of course, like uh, we'll talk about it later. Uh, so, Act <laughs> One, Bashir goes to Ops and look at him hopping yeah, so excited. When he did that, I was like, that was a really cool choice. That was the last take, and they were like, give us something fun. 
Yeah. Oh, for sure. And like, and I'm sure they're like safety guys. Like, don't you dare! And he's yeah. like, I'm don't doing move it anyway. While the lift's coming up, because that's an elevator, and he's just like, there's a moving set piece. He's like, I'm going to leap. But that's a it's a great screenshot. Uh, if you're not watching this on the YouTubes and you are listening to the podcast feed, which you can find on all of your podcast places, if you prefer not to be looking at us while we're doing this, you can also go there uh, anywhere you get podcasts and find it there. But you can uh, you're gonna miss the uh, the leap that uh, Alex Sittig here is doing anyway. So uh, he goes stops to fill in our heroes and what happened. Kira assumes it was a Cardassian orphan left behind after the occupation. Uh, and then she gets a call from Gul Dukat. Dukat says somehow he's already heard about what happened to Garrick and is now super curious. Dukat says the war orphans were a disgrace and that the children are probably being raised to hate Cardassians. And he wants to use the story to get his colleagues to bring the orphans home. Now, Mike, what did you feel about Dukat's motivations at this point in the episode? It's sort of what I always feel about his motivations. Exactly what Ben's face is saying here. Like, I, I believe the words you're saying. Because mm-hmm. usually he's pretty factually correct when he, when he uh, states what's going on. But at the same time, he always has more context, and you can tell that there's some machinations behind the scenes. So he clearly has a motive here. He clearly seems, and now listening back, because I just watched it yesterday, it's it's interesting that he has such specific concerns about what's going on with the boy, which I kind of didn't clock it at, at this point yesterday. And he knows what happens, because think about it. Like, Bashir probably took Garrick to the infirmary. And then came right here. So we're maybe like 10 minutes after this happened and Ducat, Ducat's already on the phone. Right. Like that's that's a, that's real fast. So uh, Bashir and Cisco then go to talk to the boy's adoptive father who took the boy in and does indeed hate Cardassians. Yeah, he's got resting grump face pretty hard. He does, he does. The, the, the Bajoran nose is not doing him any favors, but it's a good... It's a cool design. It is a cool design, but I will say there's a shot later, and here too, actually, where you can tell the prosthetic actually, it wasn't blended well with makeup. Like, it's this isn't a good shot, but there's another scene where he's not, I guess there was a, they were in a rush, and it's it's quite discolored. Hopefully, I'm pretty sure I got a screenshot. I'll, I'll try to remember it when we get there. Hey, maybe it's just a drinker. You don't know. Yeah, the Bajoran nose doesn't get red when they are drinkers. They get brown. <laughs> I love you. Mike just declaring canon. I love it. Uh, So, uh, where was it? Oh, yeah. The father says he just told the boy the truth about the Cardassians, and now he is a Bajoran. And he loves him like he were flesh and blood. Uh, Understandably. So, we head to Quark's. And a uh, literal butthead with an exposed brain wins at Dabo. And Quark is bummed. He's also, like, selling lots of burner phones. <laughs> That's true. He's like, you need an iPhone charger? But then look to the look to his left on the screenshot. That's a completely different monster design, creature design. Completely different person. I mean, like, and then... And I, I, I think that is the same person in design, because I, I doubt they would do another one, of the creature that stole uh, uh, the brooch. Mm. Um, Troy's brooch. I think it's the it's the same person, but uh, nonetheless, like such a cool design, and, and and this guy with his like 
Golden Girl's wig, his butt head, and his exposed brain. Like, it's a lot going on there. It's a lot going. But it's interesting, it's right? It's cool. Yeah. I mean, think about how many episodes of Next Generation where the aliens looked exactly like humans. They didn't even bother to put like a, a forehead ridge or like a little dot or something. And here on Deep Space Nine, they're going for it. And I love it. I think it's great. Uh, so Bashir asks him about the Cardassian boy. And he says he knows him and that his name is Rugal. Turns out the butthead has a lot of opinions. He does. He says that Bajorans treat Rugal badly because they hate Cardassians. Uh, so, of course, Bashir goes and investigates. And the father denies mistreating the boy. But Cisco says Rugal should hang out with Keiko while they investigate. Um, and at this point, especially looking back on it, how having seen the end of the episode, uh, Butthead here, it's very strange that he has all of that knowledge and that specific opinion and that little bit of a feint about the the guy mistreating the boy because clearly he, he wasn't. Um, I mean, unless you're his like general hatred of Cardassians. But um, this... I'm wondering if this guy was part of Ducat's plan. If if he had been read in by Ducat and said, tell them this to set all of this in motion. Because I feel like that's probably what happened, even though it's not explicitly said. Keith, so this was like a, a tidbit I kind of was, it was ringing in my ears during the episode. And I did actually look it up. And I can't believe I remembered to do that. But as this episode was playing out, what kept coming to my mind was, do you remember, I want to pronounce it right, Elian Gonzalez? Sure. The, like, international, it was a huge international custody battle, basically. It, right. That actually kind of, in some ways, paralleled to this very story here. In some ways. Yeah. And I was trying to wonder if maybe it was just a ripped from the headlines kind of situation. But it was not. But you want to hear before. something kind of crazy? Yeah. Elian Gonzalez was born December 6th, 1993. So a month after this episode airs, he was born, and then would kind of uh, his story would be told. Well, I, you know, in zooming out on this episode itself, you know, it's an episode about war orphans. Yeah, which which are, you know, a, a huge piece of collateral damage that we sort of forget and ignore that come as a consequence of any occupation of any war, and you know, uh, we certainly dealt with it in uh, Vietnam. Um, yeah, and um, well, it also, of course, and, yeah, and I'm, I'm kind of jumping to the end of the episode at the beginning, but that's kind of what we do here. It also raises a question about what you just said, where you said, you know, he they weren't abusing the boy, but when you really think about it, like I think about my my parents, and my, I'll I'll share about my father, who was a, a in many ways a, a great dad, but but a flawed human, uh, and he had many 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 inward and outwardly exp uh, uh, internal biases. Uh, it, he was he was pretty racist in some ways and he was you know he struggled with a lot of that and and you don't you don't think about it when you're a kid but just hearing and being around a lot of that rhetoric is uh, does infuse you with some things you will have to reckon with later in your life yeah for sure and so that's bad enough to be uh, to be hearing that about other races, when you're a kid, and I've dealt with those things, but imagine, if you will, 
if you were one of those, like you had been yeah. adopted and you are you are one of those cultures that is being kind of, and you're learning impl- implicit bias about your own heritage, that yeah. is, uh, you could make a strong argument that that is abuse. I, I And I, I agree with you. I mean that that I think it's it's not this you know it's it's not physical abuse it's not emotional abuse but it's like intellectual abuse in some way and and you are you are uh you are hampering your child with something that they're going to have to overcome and, and what I find interesting too and this is once again I'm just planting a seed for a conversation later yeah and what's I, I'm really loving about a lot of the plots here in this show and I think it's why you love the show is that not inherently their anger that these Bajorans feel is completely valid and A understandable. Yeah. But yeah. it's, I guess, when you start to get to attribution, right? So they're attributing their feelings of hatred and to an entire species of people rather yes. than those who were the perpetrators. And so that is, and that's an incredibly difficult th- uh, needle to thread, but- there is there is a specific difference between those parties. I mean, obviously, well, I, absolutely. Obviously, I the mean, parallels to the Nazis, and we we always go down that road. I'm not going to make yeah. it that huge right now, but same type of same type well, of thing. I, I mean, to differentiate between Nazis and Germans, right? And then you know, our responsibility as parents, and I I, I parent my cat. That's all I parent. Yeah, but uh, but I, I really try to make these distinctions with them. That with that with Charlie, that buddy, you know, hey, look, just because that dog was mean to you doesn't mm-hmm. mean that all dogs are going to be mean. Uh, but like making those distinctions, I think, is our part of parenting, part of being responsible parents, and not making those distinctions harms your child. And I think that it, it, as as well earned as it may be, I mean, it's like it, take what's happening literally today. Like if you're in U- Ukraine, right? Drawing the line between what the what Putin is doing versus what the average citizen of Russia who thinks this is nonsense is feeling versus maybe the soldier who is there who doesn't know what doesn't even know what's happening and doesn't support this and yet has a different and yet is still participating in it so has a different level of responsibility that there are just many different types of responsibility and and gradations and and to be more nuanced with your attribution as you said i think is um what this episode is kind of about um you know and that when you have exploitation right it is easy to exploit exploitation which we're going to see from ducat later that you know when 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 people are suffering and being exploited people with bad motives there's, it's ripe. It's ripe ground uh, for that sort of a thing. Ted Cruz. Anyway, I mean, what? <clears throat> I'm sorry. What did you say, Tom Cruise? I said Ted Cruz, but uh, Ted Cruz. I'm sure Ted. I'm sure Tom Cruise is guilty of this too. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, they both went on vacation. Yeah. Okay. So, where were we? Um, this guy's grumpy. This guy's grumpy. That guy's grumpy. He denies mistreating the boy. And like I said, Cisco says Rugal should hang out with Keiko while they investigate. And the father says, they won't hurt you. They're humans, not Cardassians. Um, which is, yeah, that's, that's exactly the type of thing we're talking about. So we begin Act 2 in the infirmary. And Bashir is still working on healing Garrick's hand from a bite. Uh, which means one of two things, Mike. Uh, one, either 
Because he, he was bitten by a child. We're 500 years in the future. Uh, I feel like they're able to like hear, heal like a broken leg with a... But uh, so it means either she was a terrible doctor or eh, maybe he's crushing on Garrick and they have an excuse to hang out. Once bitten, twice, you're my guy. I think, I mean, you know, and there's a lot of behind the scenes machinations with this and that this... This storyline got shut down by homophobic producers. Oh, interesting. Like, oh, yeah. So uh, I, I I don't know how much. Eh, might as well because it had already happened. So uh, I the producers saw the first episode that Garrick was in. And Andrew Robinson played him in love with Bashir. Just flat out just did it. And I don't know if it was after the first episode or after some of these more. Uh, the producers were like, hell no. You better like adjust that. Oh, interesting, because it was still that. That's that subtext is there in this episode, so it must totally have, there. Must and have it's I, it's it's so disappointing. It's, it's such riveting a missed opportunity. too. I find it riveting. Why could you know? Only only homophobia prevented, this. especially since they give Garrick so much control in it. He is the he is the puppet master in this little tete a tete, yeah. which is awesome. And it's it's and it's it's fascinating, and they should have let it play out. That's it's, it's a I'll say this for the writing, you know, before they get cut off the cut off the knees. So far, aside from sort of the trill and different things, I would say Garrick in two appearances is one of my most I'm most interested in his story. I want to know every they've they're they're shrouding a really wonderful mystery around him, and I'm into it. Yeah, well, buckle up, buddy. Uh, yeah. So interestingly, anyway. that's what he said to Bashir before they they changed it. Yeah, no. They were like, yeah, no, forget it. Ugh, mistake. Anyway, uh, so Bashir mentions that Goldukat and his and Goldukat's desire to save the war orphans, Garrick finds this laughable. He explains that Cardassians <laughs> not that kind of laughable. Oh, okay. <laughs> and uh, Garrick says that Cardassians have too much of an attention to detail to forget the orphans, and of course. Who was in charge of the withdrawal? Ducat. So uh, I, I think making a very, very salient point immediately. Uh, so uh, Ducat, meanwhile, is zooming with Bashir, and he wants the boy not to be returned to the Bajorans, uh, but is being all reasonable and stuff. He suggests sending a sample of the boy's DNA to help mm. track down his family. Uh, and then Bashir comes, oh, he's talking to, uh, uh, Cisco, but then Bashir comes in and calls bullshit. He asks, why would Dukat chose to leave the children behind? Dukat claims he was, I was ordered to leave them behind by the civilian government. Bashir, of course, thinks he's lying. And, uh, Cisco is pissed about the, uh, him interrupting the zoom. That's a great screenshot. That that is a like, I'm gonna kill you, but I I'm gonna give you a smile. On the here. contrary, it was the highlight of my day. Don't do it again. See, I mean, Cisco in this episode is like so flamboyantly salty. Well, it, it, this episode and and some of the previous ones have made me realize why in his action figure when he sits on that Cisco chair, why his legs are spread so wide because they got to make room for those giant clanking balls he's got. Well, I mean, that's that is very true of Cisco in lots of different ways. But it's particular in this in this episode, like he's just like he's like that crazy, fun, scary boss. But yet still gives his crew the rope they need 
to mm-hmm. do what is kind of necessary, but then lays, brings the clamp down. Yes. Uh, but before he does, he tells Bashir to set up a meeting between him and Garrick. Uh, so we then go to O'Brien's quarters, and Rugal is there for dinner. And O'Brien is pissed about Rugal being allowed to play with Molly. And we, we continue to reinforce that O'Brien, while a nice guy, is super racist towards Cardassians. And uh, I love Keiko, that Keiko wants none of it, though. Yeah, she calls, she calls bullshit immediately. She did in a previous episode, too. She does not put up with his nonsense here. Well, and, and this is where, again, Deep Space Nine is, I think, in over the arc of the show, about war. And the consequences of war, and and right now we're in a period where we are we're dealing with the devastating consequences of war and the occupation and the fallout that comes from it, you know, both with the orphans, but also with our hero O'Brien, because of the war, he came out of it pretty racist, and like you can understand, he went through horrible experiences, but also like he's not making distinctions, you know, he's he's. He's painting all Cardassians the same way, and part of this episode is is watching him sort of deal with that. But that's part of the trauma of war. It's not just getting your legs blown off, like it's or dying. It's like this is also a big part of it. And the Federation um, actually in, it inhabits an interesting space in that conversation, Keith. <clears throat> Sorry to go down another rabbit hole, but you know, I was watching a PBS special about the United States' involvement in World War II and how long it took for us to get involved and how we hid behind the kind of the excuse of, well, that's a foreign war. We're so Mm -hmm. far away. We're not getting the news. The the, the narrative was we're not getting the information fast enough. And the truth is is that, like many times, it's we don't want to be involved, uh, but we want to protect our interests when it it behooves us. And the Federation kind of uh, inhabits a very similar space in this well, and you're you're in an impossible situation, right? Because you you both wait too long and intervene too early. I mean, like we've we've paid the price for both, mm-hmm. right? <clears throat> like you know, we're we're still still have feet on the ground in Iraq. <laughs> you know, we should have none of our shouldn't have been there ever. At the same time, like we're also sitting here playing footsies with the Russia-Ukraine war. But another interesting parallel, too, yes. But what what we've lost in our current present-day reality is the ability to say, well, the information doesn't travel to us fast enough. We don't have the information to make those kinds of decisions to get involved or not. When the truth is, with, it's a universal media now. We oh, know we're getting, I mean, I mean, it's you, instantaneous. It, it's there on TikTok. And so <laughs> we get involved without getting involved through back channels, right? What? And that's what Garrick kind of represents on this show, which is really cool. Right. No, absolutely. I mean, I mean, Garrick is serving <laughs> as as the back channel. That's that's absolutely right. And of course, for who? Right. We don't know like who who's Garrick operating for? Right now it know. seems like for himself. For his interests. Well, I mean, and that's and and we're all operating for ourselves and mm-hmm. that's that's how we operate as humans. Anyway. It's interesting, right? This is really fun. This is great, like, world building that we're doing here. So, uh, Rugal, before dinner, prays to the Bajoran prophets, which I think is interesting. Um, but uh, Keiko has made Rugal a Cardassian dish, and he hates it. 
And at the very least, he can agree with O'Brien on that. Cardassian food is garbage. I think, uh, is it, Mike, is, is there a type of sauce that would have made that better? Well, Keith, whereas here, when I like my food, I say yum, yum, yum. Uh, there, the yummock sauce is even grosser. But there's a lot of it on the ship, as the, as the little birdie told me. Oh, well played, well played. He, Mike's learning. Mike's watching this show. Mike's Mike is it. watching. Mike it. on one on one hand hates that Keith was so right about this, <laughs> <laughs> but on the other hand, he's digging. In fact, I've finally got CEO Jen to start watching, so she's catching. Yes, up yeah. she texted me. That's exciting. Uh, all right. Anyway, where am I? Uh, later that night, Rugal wakes up to talk to O'Brien. He wants to know what's going to happen to him. Pretty fairly. Mm-hmm. And, and Brian's O'Brien, like, let me just shut down this uh, incognito browser real quick. Uh, come yeah, on in. Yeah, come yeah. On okay, in. <laughs> close the tab. Close the tab. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, is this the type of cutting insight you like? Uh, mm. You can check us out at Keith and Mike. That's not it. Patreon.com slash K&M. Yes, yes. You want to pay us to do this? <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, so O'Brien asks him, what do you want? And it turns out Rugal wants to stay on Bajor. Actually, could I get another T-shirt? Because this one sucks. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, he looks jacked. He does. I mean, like, like Rugal lifts, guys. Rugal definitely lifts. Rugal's emo as hell. He's... (laughs) (laughs) Yes, he needs some, like, eyeshadow. And, like, a a tattoo. Like, a temporary tattoo. (laughs) Wow. Guar. (laughs) Guar? Sorry, is that dated? They're still going, aren't they? (laughs) nothing is dated on a show that aired in 1993 it's fine uh so uh rugel thinks that there's something inherently wrong with him uh because he's cardassian and uh his parents of course hate all cardassians except for him and rugel asks o'brien what he thinks of cardassian and uh and o'brien tries very hard to be reasonable and not racist and this was like a moment where like he did rise to the occasion a little bit. Um, but we find an important piece of information here that the Cardassians killed 10 million Bajorans during the occupation, which is pretty staggering. Um, but again, reinforces like this was not a like a TV occupation. This was right. real. And, and we've, we've talked about that a lot. So uh, we head to Bashir's quarters. And he's asleep, but awakens to find Garrick over his bed saying, Come, Doctor. The slash fic writes itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I, you God, just let him date. Whatever. Uh, Garrick But this wants- is the second time. Don't forget, there was an episode not long ago where he woke up to uh, alternate version of Dax in his bedroom saying, That's true. Come, Doctor. So clearly, if you get startled awake at Bashir's room... You're getting some nasties. Yeah. yeah, I'm just saying. Like, I mean, either either Bashir needs to get a better lock or not. Mm. I mean, I I think I think you might probably... ask why is there no security, but then you realize that little blue vase ain't a blue vase at all, Keith. That's Odo, and he likes to watch. <laughs> Took a little blue pill out of the blue vase. Let's let's keep going forward. Oh, this is gross. <laughs> Garrick wants to go to Bajor. So Bashir goes to ask Cisco. 
Who's wearing the fanciest jammies? I was going to say, stop the presses. <laughs> everything, I said it on my watch long. Everything Ben Zisco is doing, wearing, saying, everything is working for me. This, I want so to salty. be Ben. <laughs> I mean, those jammies are so fancy. They can get married in those jammies. Yeah, like, those is, are those are crazy. Those come, uh, Vedic, uh, one of the Vedics gave him that. So <laughs> Kai Wynn, Kai Wynn gave him that. Uh, may, well, you know, it's that type of episode. Maybe, maybe they had a little dalliance, and and uh, she left it there. He's put on that hat anyway. Cisco is very salty in this episode, uh, and Bashir's asking for a runabout. But then, and he says a, his best line here. He goes, he goes, oh, just will one bet? Will one runabout be enough? Snap! I'm telling you, Cisco is he's, that, he's feeling that's like it. a mini deep V. Look at that. it's deep, but it's mini. It's like it's like a faux deep V. <laughs> I mean, I mean, maybe it has a zipper and you just like oh, go all straight. If I had if I had, to the if I had it in me, I would right now. I'm not going to do it, folks. So don't get excited. I would mask your shirt out and just put that on you. <laughs> I bet I could do I'd, it. I'd, I'd look good. I'd, I'd look good. Yeah. Let's let's face it. Uh, all right. Then a message comes in from Ducat. It turns out that Rugal is the son of a very powerful Cardassian who is already en route to the station. Uh, there you got the DNA. Bashir realizes that Garrick already knew, and that's why he wanted to go to Bajor. So lots of people here know a lot more than we do as this happens. So uh, so they head off. Well, that looks and, familiar. Uh, no, I think that's a different one. Or a different, different angle. But, uh, yeah, Bajor's beautiful. Look at that waterfall in the middle of the city. Yeah. Like, that's a... Uh, they I mean, they I don't animated know what it, too, because that waterfall was moving. Yep. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's a it's a matte painting with animation, and, you know, I think those people were moving as well. Like, it's... And I don't know if that's CG at this very, very early CG, or whether they actually did animate, or it's... Uh, layering stuff i don't know it's pretty cool um you know, obviously for a painting but you know you, you roll with it this yeah. the 90s were a time where you just rolled with a matte painting it's fine so uh garrick and bashir show up at a bajoran orphanage they ask about rugel and bashir clearly did not have time to brush his hair uh i don't know if you have a shot of that but bashir early in this episode his hair is yeah. everywhere uh whatever uh, Garrick and the woman at the orphanage spar, and we find out that the records that they're looking for are on a broken computer. And surprisingly and mysteriously, Garrick is able to fix it almost immediately. Uh, pretty interesting for a tailor. Then uh, a couple of other Cardassian orphans arrive asking if they're being taken back to Cardassia. That eyepiece was awesome. It's like the first VR. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, uh, or AR. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, we're going to see more of that. I also like that this was a second time in the sort of overarching episodes, well, the whole series, I guess, at this point, where they make a really strong point about the Cardassians and their record-keeping prowess. Yeah. Remember in that, in the duet episode, there was, right. they made a big deal about that, like, he was the head, he was the head record-keeper at that camp so this is an interesting I, I thought there was some tie there with Garrick but maybe there is moving forward Who knows? well and I, I think in 
tie into our real world, you know, the Nazis kept meticulous records. And that's why we know so much about them is because of all the, like, unbelievable amount of record keeping they did. Well, folks, you don't collect all the Playmates action figures without keeping a little spreadsheet because you need to know. Yeah, yeah. I also have a spreadsheet. So thanks for that analogy. Uh, so, uh, but then the, uh, the, the orphans arrive and it's kind of heartbreaking because it's other, or, you know, Cardassian orphans are like, are you going to take us? They're like, nope. Which is, uh, which is tough, but they're, uh, but Garrick gets the computer working. Yeah. I mean, I, I thought that seemed terribly sad. Yeah. So we begin act three. On the runabout, Garrick starts investigating the data he took, but Bashir stops to confront him and asks him what the hell is actually going I on. I also learned that the runabout set's bigger than I thought. I thought it was just that cockpit area, but apparently they got the whole GD thing. Yeah, well, and the, the runabouts have like a back room in the back where there's like a meeting table. We saw that on, on Next Gen. Mike wants a runabout. Somebody has built this. Me and Keith keep joking about it. Someone has built this runabout thing, and please... Invite us. We'll pay for our own flights. We just want to come sit in it and record an episode from your basement bunker runabout. Ooh, I mean, I'm already recording from my basement bunker, but that's uh, there it is. Uh, so it turns out that Rugal's Cardassian father was one of the civilian leaders who decided to leave Bajor, and thus was a political enemy of Dukat. Then Dukat is super interested in the boy. And Garrick gives us one of his great uh, Garrick quotes. I believe in coincidences. Coincidences happen every day. But I don't trust coincidences. So Good read, there it buddy. is. Good read. Very, very, oh yeah. Well, I'm auditioning for Garrick in the, in the musical. Well, give me that face. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> All of my lungs are here, very arch. Yes. Oh, I'm Garrick. So good. So good. <laughs> uh, so then the civilian leader, Padar, shows up at O'Brien's uh, quarters looking for his son. He says he last saw his son when he was four and thought he was dead. And O'Brien tries to gently fill him in on what's happening. Uh, including that Rugal hates Cardassians and doesn't want to go back. And uh, Padar says that family is everything and that he should have tried harder to find Rugal, but thought he had died in an explosion. Um, in, a, in a very sort of, like, heartfelt scene there. Um, and, and Padar is obviously very different from, from Dukat here. Then Rugal and Keiko show up. He tries to reach out to his son, but is rejected. Um, and I, I, it's a terrific performance yes. by Robert Mandon here. Um, such like open hearted honesty in his performance under all that Cardassian, uh, makeup. Uh, that was an excellent performance. Uh, but Rugal is still a hard no. So later we go to Cisco's office and the two prospective fathers argue about who gets Rugal. Cisco offers to mediate, and they both agree. Then, uh-oh, Odo calls and says, Dukat has arrived. And uh, in what must be a new set, or at least a new angle, Dukat claims he's only there to help the Cardassians get their kids back. 
And Ducat keeps saying, think about the children, which uh, anybody who says that, you know, I don't know. I, I, I start to question your, your motives immediately. That's fair. Uh, meanwhile, Garrick and Bashir realize that Ducat probably deleted the files on Rugal because there's something there he doesn't want people to see because they couldn't find his files anywhere. They've been deleted. And Garrick says they need to track down whomever wrote the file and he knows who it is because uh, he's, he's good at these sort of things. So we back we head back to the custody hearing and Cisco questions Rugal. Uh very briefly. Th- that scene looks much happier than it, yeah. <laughs> than it was. He's like, like oh. you've just got such a beautiful face. <laughs> Wait, was that your Cisco? Uh, in this scene, yes. That was his sort of like creepy <laughs> <laughs> moving does. forward. Moving moving forward. Uh uh, meanwhile, <clears throat> excuse me, Bashir questions the lady who wrote the file on Rugal. Turns out that Rugal was actually turned in by a Cardassian military woman who worked at Tarek Noor. Um, and that Rugal came in with a name. And uh, both of these things are very uh, rare in this situation. So they head off to the hearing, and Bashir starts asking questions. He's Bashir's like barging onto the Zoom. He's barging into the hearing. He's like a part of it now. That's yeah, that's what he's doing. This whole thing will ruin Padar's political future, the father. And that they are about to be on trial in Cardassia. There's about to be a trial on Cardassia about the people who set up the attempted coup on Bajor from the Circle Trilogy. So we're starting to see a, a little bit of tying here. So that... Uh, a, there's going to be there's going to be a trial about that, and Ducat is a key witness in that trial because he was probably behind what was going on. So uh, lots of political intrigue going on in Cardassia that this is all being tied up in. Bashir then shows that Ducat intentionally stashed Rugal at an orphanage to use against Padar later. So. Um, but we don't, here's where Mike had the big question, still doesn't okay. know. So was it an act of convenience, political convenience, or did they kidnap the kid? Or they, they, they we don't know? Because remember, he thought he got blowed up. The dad thought he got blowed up. So was he yeah. kidnapped first and brought to brought to the orphanage? Or was it just they, it turns out he wasn't dead, and then instead of returning him to the father, they were like, you know what, let's use this opportunity? I don't. No, I, I don't. I don't think it's established. I think um, you could. It, it really depends on how nefarious you think Ducat is. Did Ducat kill this guy's family and, uh, and steal? So, his son? as a writer, do you think that is a wormhole, or do you think that they left it vague so that we are still on the fence, of teetering about Ducat? I, I, I think, I think, I think the latter. Yeah. Um, I think for for a couple different reasons. One. Um, that level of intrigue is important, and I think keeping us questioning where Ducat is coming from, both what does he want, is he, a, like, how how dark of a bad guy is he? I also think that at this point, had he intentionally killed this guy's family, I think that that, that would be sort of irredeemable from Ducat, I, th- I think he would be, that would make him just into like a hard villain as opposed to a mysterious villain. 
Um, I think that would just be too much. Whereas I could totally buy, um, he, you know, something happens. He sends his folks out there. They discover Rugal and they're like, Ooh, we can use this. Mm -hmm. Um, and now of course that's a horribly villainous thing to do, especially if you start thinking about it from Rugal's perspective, like that is, that is brutally awful for a, a thing to have done. But my guess is that's probably what happened. Um, but uh, it, I, I don't think it's super clear. So uh, Cisco decides to give Rugal back to his father and that Padar has found a way to protect himself from Dukat's plan by keeping the whole thing secret. So basically he makes a deal. Uh, I won't tell everybody what you did stealing my son and throwing him in an orphanage if you don't tell him that I had him or left him. I, I and, and I guess like what? And, and maybe I think I'm just forgetting something and somebody in the comments, leave it below. But like, why was having this son such a political liability to this leader? Well, because he's the one who ordered them leave the children behind. Apparently just get off. We need to get out, leave the kids. Well, no, I think that that was Ducat's decision. No, he said that it was he wanted to get them out, and that the, the the civilian leader said no, leave them. Well, that's what he said anyway. That's what he said. Interesting. Well, I Keith I think, and like, Mike whole, don't quite get it. I've only seen this episode like seventeen times. Somebody smarter, leave a note in the comments. Well, and regardless this of who's part. smart or not, like I also am a bit confused on it, and we've had this a couple of times. Like, so. We'll talk about it in wormholes. I don't know that it's a wormhole because we, I think there's a bit of vagary for for the purpose of keeping it ambiguous. Yeah. But also, I think sometimes they things are so politically, I don't want to say overcomplicated, nuanced, that it's it's tough for just a 45 minute watch to really get all of the nooks and crannies. Well, and especially because of the Cardassian, the way the Cardassian government is structured. Mm-hmm. Like who's really in charge? What are the politics of it? It's um, it's complex and it's intentionally complex. So I I, I get it. Um, I, I think perhaps I'm just putting my own standards of like. But I think why the long and short of it is, both of these guys have done some not great things, and they're at they've reached a stalemate. They've agreed to have a stalemate to keep both right. of their political aspirations. So what one of the great lines here, and I think it's, it's either Cisco or O'Brien who says it. I believe. Maybe Garrett, I forget who says it, but they're like, really, in this in this situation, the only true victim is Rugal. That's right. That's right. And and we finish this uh, because they give Rugal back to his father. And Rugal is not happy about leaving. And it's kind of a bummer. And you can sort of understand the decision, right? You, tot- I, you totally get it. Um, at the other and like you're right the the real victim here is Rugal and the other orphans and and that just being being harmed by both sides by all sides of this as an utterly innocent victim and that's but that's you know like like we said earlier that's the consequence of war so uh finally Bashir and Garrick have tea and Bashir asks look at that screenshot how sad is that oh it's terribly sad it's it's good performances by yeah. by everybody there. Um, Bashir asks Garrick, "What's the truth between you and Dukat? 
because clearly there's there's uh, Ducat sometimes knows who knows who Garrick is, sometimes doesn't. It's it's very murky between the two of them. And Garrick says in another great Garrick line, "I don't believe in the concept of truth." So uh, we uh, we continue not knowing what's going on there, and Bashir is up for it. Look at him; he's mm-hmm. like. It's like, yeah, this is a, oh, right. And of course, Garrett goes off and uh, starts complimenting somebody else's clothing. So I wish they should have, should have let him date. Anyway, let us move forward to a certain quiz that we all enjoy. And now it's time for Mike and Deglio's Star Trek Vocabulary Quiz. Okay, Mike, tell me, what is Terracnor? Keith, Terracnor was the original name, or the Bajoran name, for, just kidding, Cardassian name for Deep Space Nine, Terracnor. Yes, yes, indeed. All right, your next thing, explain to me, what is the Cardassian civilian government? Well, they were another government made up of civilian leaders, not military leaders, who were calling the shots, I guess, once down on the ground during the occupation. And once they were tasked with pulling out, they had to, uh, I don't know, something like that. <laughs> Look, some of that's true. The, the military was the one on the ground doing all the things, whereas the civilian government made the decision to leave. But uh, as we will see, the battle between the civilian and military governments on Cardassia, the power struggle will continue and is part of their culture. You want to know what's part of our culture? The way that we come along home at the end of every episode Okay, here we are at Quark's. Everyone can tip their glass of Coke Zero in an old busted New Jersey Devil's Cup, even though I'm a Bruins fan. Here we are. Uh, Let's talk first. Mike, were there any wormholes in the plot? Well, I mean, I'm sure that someone in the comments will explain the political goings and ons about the stalemate that's reached at the end, because that does confuse me a little bit about what was the actual? So I think we are agreeing, you and I, that the actual plot, uh, uh, Ducat's plot, the the Duplot, is purposefully ambiguous. We don't know if he purposefully kidnapped the kid to stash him, or if it was an act of political convenience that the kid was available to him, and so he pushed. Because clearly he and he didn't even do it himself. At least he was smart there. He gave made one of his his minions on uh, mm-hmm. Tarek Nord take the kid to the orphanage. Uh, so that's wormholian, if you ask me. Uh, but I don't know if it's completely out of, and then, and then I guess the other confusing wormhole type thing for me is I don't really understand how galactic adoptions work 
because they had to establish a mediator to decide who gets the kid. But in reality, I mean, he seems to have been officially uh, adopted, even though his parents were like kind of uh, grumpy, but they had raised him and they had, seems that they legally adopted him from an orphanage, a Cardassian orphanage. So, well, but, but they legally adopted him on Bajoran laws. So right. th- this is like a, like a, a state thing, right? Because like, I, I think it's, it's terribly murky because you have a, you have an international incident, you have laws that apply to both of them. And it's and so you kind of do need a mediator, and and I I think it's yeah I mean that that part didn't bump me. What what bumped me about it was the Cardassians' willingness to negotiate, willingness to have it be mediated. Mm. Whereas I think that the most of the Cardassians that we've seen thus far would just like buy. Yeah, and I guess and I guess I would say that like I'm sometimes surprised, and maybe I think it's hubris hubris that Ducat so willingly thinks he can pull the wool over Ben's eyes all the time. Like he doesn't think, he thinks by requesting a DNA sample and then just being like, oh, we found who the kid's dad is, that he'll, Ben will just roll over. Uh, he really thinks he can he can dupe him every time, but. Well, I don't think he's, I, I, I mean, yes, I see what you're saying, but I, I don't actually think that he's trying to dupe them. I think he knows Cisco's um, responsibilities as a diplomat. Yeah. And so I don't think he's necessarily thinks he's fooling anybody. He's just uh, knows that if I, if I say these things in a certain way, diplomatically, he has no choice but to take me at my word um, from, from, from that standpoint. And, and of course, like, with with Ducat, there's always the question of what does he believe, you know, like, is what he's saying a lie? Is what he's saying a lie for Cisco's benefit or somebody else's benefit? Or is what he's saying maybe a lie to himself? Mm-hmm. You know, that, that one of the defining characteristics of Ducat, and we haven't really gotten into this too deeply thus far, but that his self-justification is such a big part of his identity that that his need to justify to himself for his own sense of self-worth his own terrible behavior like does he believe it's a bad thing is he conv- it's 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 complex and i think it's interesting you got uh, anything else uh we're no i mean not really i mean i think it's a um you know it, it's compressed Right, I, you know the story that they're telling is very sort of compressed and very and very quick, and because um, you've only got forty six minutes to tell it. Um, but I think the ambiguous parts are amb- ambiguous by intent, right? Um, and that I I get that this all was a was a ploy um, going here, and and like I said, it's you know Ducat is exploiting exploitation, and and that is messy and much more possible. Than uh, than it should be. Uh, all right, so let's let's do our best moment. Sure, I'm going to take this down, put this up. So I have an interesting one this week, Heath. Okay. We we spent a little time on it when we were discussing the episode in the scene with Keiko O'Brien and Rugal at the dinner scene. 
Yeah. This is my favorite scene because I think it tells so many stories and draws so many sort of introspective parallels to our existence. When it comes to race relations, we talked about it. I won't belabor the point. But what I, what the, 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 where I really appreciate Deep Space Nine is because they make a point and then you could kind of leave it there, which is what a lot of television does, but then they go that extra layer, right? So in this scene, ostensibly, Keiko calls out Miles' sort of uh, implicit bias, right? And his sort of, uh, I'll say, I guess racism is fair. Flat out racism, yeah, yeah. Uh, And so, you know, she's sort of highlighted as a moral, uh, she's put on a moral pedestal, right? Obviously, he's wrong, she's right, right? Black and white, easy peasy. But they don't stop there. They want to show, I think, and I think one of the things I like about this this series is that it's it's not always black and white. It's not always just like television, good guy, bad guy. There's right, right, nuance. For sure. And just like the dad seems to be a victim here, but eh, he, he kind of stepped into what his, the son, unfortunately, was collateral damage, right? These, right. when you get involved in these things. Anyway, but in this specific scene, so, okay, Keiko is the, she's the good guy in this scene. But wait. She creates, she does what she thinks is right. She's trying to be an ally, you know, to use current right. terms. She makes that Cardassian dinner, replicates right. that, which actually becomes deeply offensive to him because in trying to do the right thing, she took, she didn't go the extra depth to really explore what was going on. And so mm. she made a foible, right? Yeah. And so it makes that extra point that just knowing what's right doesn't always mean you're going to do what's right. You can or, still- Or attempting to do the right thing right. doesn't mean that you're always going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I just really liked, I liked the sort of mini story that told in a really, in a character beat. And mm. uh, so I'm going to give award it my favorite moment. Yeah. I, I, I think that that's really well articulated, really well spotted. Um, because I, I I think that's that's exactly right. Keiko was, was right. And then she was the like well-intentioned person who like did- accidentally did the offensive thing even though you're trying your best um yeah i think for me the my favorite moment was the performance of robert mandon as the as the cardassian father um in the conversation with o'brien and then meeting rugel for the first time i think um he just his performance was so so heartfelt and heartbreaking and and complex because Mm he he like it's an impossible position to be in and, and a, and a very different, I, I can't even imagine what that would be like for a father in that situation. And of course, like, like you said, his, he's ostensibly sort of the good guy. And yet, you know, regardless of whether or not it was their decision to leave the orphans behind, right. Because it was going to embarrass the government. Even if that weren't true, he was in the government participating in this brutal occupation. So like he, he's not coming out of this good anyway. Right. Uh, even if he didn't do that. And so it's a, it's a complex character and dynamic and, um, really difficult decision that happens at the end of the, at the end of the show to give Rugal back to him. Um, but uh, yeah, so I I, I liked that, love that performance. Just a great performance. It's a great scene, um, you know. And again, this is, and I guess we might as well just get into the episode writing as we're doing it. Like to have these thoughts and feelings be the star of the show. It's not always pew pew. It's not always like here's a giant alien gizmo that's like 
turning people inside out. This is like the intellectual version of that. So, Mike, uh, you go first. Self-sealing stem bolts. Yeah. Uh, I loved the plot. I really loved the story. I loved the story they were trying to tell. I really love the Garrick character. Uh, I like sort of the way he uses Bashir to shield his his uh, the advancement of his skills and what he might be. Um, mm-hmm. I appreciate all of that. Uh, like you said, the compression I feel causes some issues in the storytelling. Like I think there we could have there are some beats that could have been a little bit longer. I really enjoyed, I really appreciate was looking forward to the Ben as mediator situation. Every time we've had mediation type episode, going back to the that Dax episode, the Trill episode early on in season one, I always find those fascinating because it, it gives us it scratches sort of our courtroom procedural itch a little mm-hmm. bit. So I was looking forward to that. We don't get much of it. Uh you know, I, I I find some of the inter inter the Cardassian interpolitical conflicts pretty interesting. I felt that way during the coup the coup trilogy. I yeah. felt that way here, but we're also we don't get t- a lot of time to focus on it specifically. The Cardassians have always sort of been kind of in the background, even when they are the focus of the episode. So the the compression of the storytelling does sort of harm it a little bit for me because I feel like this this really would have benefited from the room to breathe. Mm-hmm. Uh, that said, great performances across the board, especially cool that we don't, a lot of our characters, they, they let us focus a little bit on Bashir. Uh, we haven't seen Odo in a couple episodes. We barely get any Kira or Dax here, so it's neat that they shifted focus. I'm fine with that. We got some awesome costuming. It looked beautiful. Uh, not a ton not to like, uh, I think it's going to have pay dividends going forward with with the different with the buddy cop stuff. I'm sad to hear that it changes course or focus at least, but whatever. I'm going to say it's a really solid episode. Not I'm not jumping out of my seat, but I really liked it. Do you have happen to tell me what I rated last week? Last week you rated a 79.95 for invasive procedures. Oh, I feel like I I went really high on that. That feels maybe because this feels like I liked it more, but it don't. I want to. I don't want to flirt with eighty because I. I don't. I feel like. Well, I mean, eighty is a B minus. So. All right, I want to give it eighty. Eighty, yeah, I, I, I'm right there with you. Um, I think that uh, it's an it's an interesting episode. It it does some good um sort of storytelling about the you know again exploring the occupation, exploring the Cardassians and the. And the Bajorans, I think we've, what do we gain here, right? We learn a little bit more about Garrick and Garrick's relationship with Dukat. We see um, the Bashir-Garrick relationship continue to grow. Um, we learn a lot more about how the Cardassian uh, government works. That I don't know if we knew at this point that there even was a civilian government. Um, or, or that there was a, a military and a civilian government separately. Um, so I think that, that was interesting. We, we might have, I don't, just don't remember. Um, uh, performance is great. I like that they subtly paid off a little bit of the circle trilogy mm-hmm. by having, 
you know, it's it wasn't like a big part of the plot, but it was motivating the plot behind the scenes, right? What is Ducat trying to accomplish here? He's trying to cover his ass for the mess that happened with the circle. So he's so if you really think about it, he stashed Rugal there as his get out of jail free card for when I fuck up, mm-hmm. right? Which he did with the circle. And so he's now playing his card to have gotten away with that going so badly. Um, and that, you know, and that story was told very around the edges, right? That wasn't explicitly said, but that's definitely what happened here. Um, and so that's, you know, that level of subtlety where you're paying off something that wasn't super obvious and yet into like internally, it makes sense. Um, I like that. I like yeah. that a lot. Um, so, uh, yeah. Um, is it a, one of those like amazing phenomenal episodes? No, but I think it's once again, an important, you know, a foundation laying episode as well as calling our attention to something real. Yeah. Right. And something important and something with real human consequences that we don't like to look at or think about too much. Um, and yet it is our responsibility to do so. And, uh, and so I like that we're drawing attention to that. Um, so, uh, I'm going to give it, uh, I'm going to give it 81 self sealing stem bolts. Um, it's a, it's a good episode. It's not a great episode, but it's a good episode. So, uh, yeah, so that's where we are at the end of this. Uh, if you enjoyed our nonsense, you can support us on patreon.com slash K and M join these fantastic folks get bonus episodes. You can watch Mike watch the episode of deep space nine right in your feed. Uh, there's some really fun stuff, uh, up there. So we thank you. We thank all of our new subscribers. Give us a like, give us a subscribe. And next week we will be talking about Deep Space Nine season two, episode six, Melora. Cool. So, uh, yeah, I'm not going to say too much about it yet. I don't want less, Keith. I want Demora. Demora? Melora. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. My bad. Whatever. Whatever. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, We will see you back here next week. Thank you for watching. Till then, this has been Keith and Mike. Watch Deep Space Nine. Thank you for watching K&M Entertainment. If you enjoyed our particular brand of nonsense, please like and subscribe. Or become one of our patrons at patreon.com slash K&M.